Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Birch. On this episode, we're talking about Genesis 35 through 47 Joseph, Judah, and the sons of Jacob. Here we are on episode four of FMD Bible Talk, and today we're going to talk about Joseph and his brother's story. But before that, we're going to talk a little bit about the recap from where we've been so far in the biblical narrative. And what we've seen so far is creation, the fall, how God responded to that with a promise from Genesis chapter three. But also we've really seen about the family of Abraham. And really that's the second half that we've really seen of Genesis is in chapter 12 where Abraham received the promise from God that through his lineage and through him the blessing would come and that there would be a blessing that would bless all the nations. And how that story has continued through Abraham, through his son Isaac and Jacob. And now the story today, in today's episode, we're going to pick up is how it continues on through his sons. And in particular, this narrative of Genesis takes a big focus on Joseph. So we're going to jump into Genesis 37. And remember, guys, we're kind of taking everything from a 30,000 foot view and zooming in on certain chapters and stories. So as we zoom in, we see that Joseph is a 17 year old boy. And right at the beginning of this narrative, we can kind of see a few things about Joseph. He was going out with the sons of Bill and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So I don't know about you guys, but for me growing up, I always kind of saw Joseph in this like really great light. He was a perfect guy and God used him, but that's really not the case. And as we see in tons of biblical heroes or characters, we see that they all are faulty, just like we are. And the first thing that we notice about Joseph is that he brought a bad report of them to their father. And um, what the Hebrew word actually means in this is kind of something like the bad report was something untrue. So Joseph probably likely was telling the truth to his father about his brothers. However, he probably exaggerated a little bit. So we kind of see that Joseph is like a little bit of a snitch here. And so we see that Joseph has his faults. He's not perfect. And ultimately, we know that God uses him through all of this. And the second thing we see about Joseph, in particular with this verses, is that Joseph is the most favorite son of Jacob. And, and this is really important for us to understand, is that Joseph had a special treatment from Jacob. And that was found really in the fact that his father made him a coat or a robe of many colors. And I think when we think about this robe, we think of the beauty of it and how magnificent it would have looked. But really in that day and age, what that robe represented actually was a robe that declared to everyone around them that Joseph was the favorite. And so mm-hmm. you have to remember that anytime he would wear this robe or anytime he had it on, it was basically a constant reminder to his brothers that father loves me more than you. And when you think about this family already, there is so much family drama within Jacob's life, just with Mm -hmm. his two wives and then the two concubines. There's just a lot of drama built into this story with siblings fighting this one and wives fighting that way. And so him already being the favorite and coming in, it's already set up for him to be hated. But to him to have this coat on would make it even more so where he's just not liked by his brothers. And that's what Mm -hmm. Scripture actually tells us. It says that they actually hate him. And, And that's what we see from these things about Joseph is that he's hated by his brothers. Yeah, and the crazy thing is that he kind of adds fuel to the fire whenever he has these two dreams. And uh, we both know that these dreams are from God. 
The first dream is basically there are sheaves of wheat and there's 11 of them and they all bow down to one sheaf of wheat and we know that that's Joseph. And then not only that, but then he has a second dream where the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bow down to him. So not only do his brothers bow down to him in the first dream, but in the second dream, then his mom and dad bow down to him. And Joseph brings this before his family, and obviously that's just fuel to the fire. They already hate Joseph, and now they're going to be bowing down to him. So as you can imagine, Joseph is not really liked at this point. Are these dreams from God? Absolutely. But it doesn't really turn out the way that Joseph is hoping. That's true. I I wonder what... (laughs) I wonder what Joseph was thinking when he was saying this would be a, you know, I'm going to share this with my brothers as if they would receive it in a good way, right? Like they already didn't like him. And it's just interesting. You know, you wonder what what was he thinking and sharing it. But these dreams made his brothers become even more bitter towards him, truthfully. Mm -hmm. And and we, and like Becca said, the dreams were from God. They were not something made up. They were from God. And so they were going to come true. The Lord was going to bless them. The first 11 verses really set us up for us to understand Joseph's relationship with his brothers and what leads to the second half of this of this chapter. And really what we see in the second half of the chapter, and if you're, we're all familiar with this passage so much in the Joseph narrative, but we see how uh, Jacob sends Joseph to go find his brothers. They've been missing. And where he travels to, Beck actually did some research on it, that it would have been 64 miles away for him to go find them. So he was mm-hmm. far away from home. He was far away from his father's safety. And he went to go find them. And as he was going to find them, uh, his brothers saw him from afar off coming. And they made a plan to kill him. Their desire was, you know, we're going to kill him. Um, we don't like this guy. He's dad's favorite. And, and we're we're not happy with that. And so they came up with a plan to kill him. But then his brother Judah actually steps in. And instead of saying we should kill him, he says, let's sell him into slavery instead. And there's some thought and debate on what his motive was behind this. Some people think that Judah may have done it out of a good intention. And there's others who think that Judah did. He said, well, what would be the benefit of killing him? Let's at least get some money for him, right? And so Judah, which is an extremely important character in the in, in this story, is the one who who comes in and says, "Let's sell our brother," and and I tend to think that he he probably was doing it more so because he wanted to gain some profit from him. Um, but regardless, we know that Judah was the one who stepped in and chose to do that. And so they and so they sold them to the Ishmaelites, and they took him to Egypt and they sold him to Potiphar there. And the next thing we know is we find him in the in the house of Potiphar. But before we get back to the Joseph story, there's kind of this random story in chapter 38 of Genesis that just feels like a big interruption. And mm-hmm. it's really the story of Judah and Tamar. And and if you follow the biblical narrative and what's going on, it's not an interruption though it feels like. It. And so Becca's going to talk a little bit about this story. Yeah. Like Felix said, it kind of seems like an interruption and it's almost kind of like you're watching, a, let's just imagine like a series, like a TV show and episode one ends and it's Egypt and Potiphar's house and you're like, wait, what's going to happen to the second one? And then Judah and Tamar comes on and you're like, wait, what? I'm so confused. This is a totally different story, but it actually really flows like Felix said. So we see here that Judah marries a Canaanite woman and we know that his fathers warned them about marrying Canaanite women just because they were not following the Lord. And so he marries a Canaanite woman named Shua. He has three sons, and 
he find he's going out to find a uh, wife for his first son Ur. Well, we know Ur is a wicked man. He is slayed by God. We don't know why, but he is because of his wickedness. And so Tamar, who was his wife, is now given to Onan, his second son, because at that time that was the cultural norm to move on to the next son so that the wife could bear children on behalf of the eldest son. So she moves on and she is given to Onan. Well, Onan obviously does a crazy thing and he has relations with her, but does not allow for her offspring to come through him. And so he is slayed by God. And so it seems like she's going to go on to the next son, but Judah is really upset that both of his sons have died. And so he says, you know what, Tamar, go back to your father's house and wait for my son to get to his elder age and I will give him to you. But we kind of know here that that seems like Judah's kind of lying. We don't know if Judah's going to meet up to his end of the bargain. And so we know that Tamar goes home, she becomes a widow, and she's waiting. She realizes that Judah is actually not going to give the son to her. And so she decides to dress up as a prostitute and get the offspring of Judah's family that she is honestly entitled to. So Judah sees her on the way to a different city. He thinks she's a prostitute. He sleeps with her, and we eventually know that she has the sons of Judah and it's crazy, but she has twins and Perez is one of her sons. And we ultimately see him in the line of the King Jesus. And one of the things that we really have to understand about this is that as weird as this story is and how it might feel random at times, what the story is really teaching us, it is, is showing us a lot about the lineage of Jesus and where and who Judah is and the significance mm-hmm. of character he is. And actually in, the things to think about each week section, we actually said take notice of Judah's story and consider how it's important to the plan of redemption. Mm-hmm. And Judah's character in, in the beginning of this story, and particularly this chapter, and really even the previous chapter with him stepping in to sell his brother, right, to slavery. And then his character shown in this story, it's not a godly man. Mm-hmm. He's not a man that you would look at and think, this is a great guy, right? This is where the Messiah Jesus should come through. Or this is the lineage where Jesus should come through in any way. But it does. And so this this shows us so much that even in this story, where we see a flawed human being and a flawed man who's really messed up in a lot of ways and who's dishonest, who doesn't tell the truth and all these different things, Jesus Christ would come through this man's lineage. Mm-hmm. And it teaches us so much about just even the lineage of Christ, right? When you look at Matthew and Luke and you look at these genealogies of Jesus, you see messed up people. And you see people that we're not perfect in any way, right? But what it tells us is that God's plan of redemption did not require for him to have perfect people for mm-hmm. in order for him to bring that plan out. Mm-hmm. And Judah is a declaration of that, that even though he was messed up, God was able to bring redemption through messed up people. And that should give us much hope about what God has done for our lives because mm-hmm. where we mess up and we're not, we're, we may be imperfect and we are imperfect, much like Judah, God is able to bring about works of redemption and great things through our lives as long as we love him and serve him. And, and the truth is it is amazing what God did through Judah as we will we'll read about in a little bit of the future. Yeah, as we go into the end of Genesis, we see that Judah ends up becoming one of the, the greatest men in the end of this story. And so really take note, He's not that great of a guy at this point, but God really does a work in him. And so at the end of this book, we see God really using him in a miraculous way. And honestly, the thought is God involves imperfect people in his perfect plan. And honestly, that should give us so much hope. Mm. So the story moves on 
And so we move on from Judah and, and the Tamar story, and it picks right back up in, in Joseph. And so you feel like you're in this, this abrupt story, but you're really not because it's going to really show some things later. But we go to Genesis 39. And we'll just move through this real quickly. Joseph is now in Egypt. He's been sold to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar is a very wealthy and successful man in Egypt. Many people believe that he may have been right underneath Pharaoh, and particularly his guard of some sort. And so he's working for Potiphar. And this is a really important scripture. But it says in Genesis 39, two, really verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph. So he's been sold to this man. And the scripture opens us and tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And he became successful. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to, to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. And so I just want us to think about this for a moment, Joseph's life now. Where Joseph is at, this young man was 17 years old and he gets sold by his brothers, right? They pull him out of a pit and you could imagine him pleading with his brothers, like, please don't sell me. Please don't do this, right? Don't, I'm your brother. And they sell him anyway. And his life is like all of a sudden turned around where now he finds himself in, in slavery. But it says that the Lord was with Joseph. And I say that that is such an important, we'll see that phrase come up a couple of times in this narrative, but it is so important because what it tells us is that honestly, I believe, and in, in, according to scripture, is that Joseph was in the will of God. And we, we will really find that later on as we go. But Joseph was in the will of God. And because he was in the will of God, the presence of God was with him. And no matter, and, and I think there's so much we can learn from this, but no matter where we go in this life, no matter whether we go into situations that seem like I'm in slavery, like this is a terrible situation for Joseph. I'm in slavery. How can this be good? Mm -hmm. If you're in the will of God and it might not look pretty, the presence of God will be with you. Mm -hmm. and, the, and therefore, because the presence of God was with Joseph, the blessing of God was with him. Mm -hmm. And so everything he did was a success. And, and Potiphar recognized that. And so he raised him up, right? And he gave him to rule over the whole house. And it wasn't long before that, not long after that, that Potiphar's wife really noticed Joseph. And the Bible talks about how Joseph was good. It was a handsome man and good to look at and all these things. And Potiphar's wife, day by day, began to try to seduce Joseph to lie with her. And, and one of the things about this is such an amazing thing is that Joseph never gave in to these temptations. I mean, day by day, he was tempted with this. And you would think that it, being a slave in this man's house or underneath this woman, he would have to obey, but he doesn't. Cause, and it's not because he just wants to not sin against his master, mm -hmm. but it's because Joseph desires to follow God. And Joseph desires this, how can I do this? How can I sin against God? How could I commit this great wickedness against God? And so Joseph would deny this woman who was trying to seduce him and pull him away. And really what I believe this is, is I, I really believe that Satan was trying to find a way to completely pollute Joseph so that what God wanted to do to Joseph, Satan, Satan could stop it. Because there was a great plan with Joseph's life. Because remember, he's in the will of God, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Things that don't seem like the will of God, but it is the will of God for his life. Yeah. And so Potiphar's wife attempts to try to seduce him. And in the process, she pulls his tunic away and he flees. And she cries out and says, this Hebrew who you've brought into our, ha our house, he, he's, he's tried to rape me and all these things. And so the accusation comes against him and Potiphar throws him into the prisons. And I think this is really important that we often overlook on this is that one of the things that back in that time is that if you were caught in adultery of this sort, if Joseph were caught into adultery, the punishment was not prison. 
the punishment was actual death, but yet mm. he was not put to death. Mm. And that's no accident. That's no thing that just to say, oh, like, oh, he just got lucky. No, it was God's hand and God's sovereign will and God working in such a way that he was not going to allow Joseph to die because mm. he was protecting Joseph for a greater purpose. Mm. And so we find Joseph thrown into the prison in chapter 39 and it picks up and, and that, that same statement comes up one more time. So yeah, the statement comes up again, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So y'all, this theme keeps popping up that the Lord was with Joseph. And just like Felix said, we have to take note that God was with Joseph. Joseph was in the will of God. Therefore, his presence was with him. Therefore, even though it doesn't look like it, he is being blessed. Just like Felix said, throughout Joseph's life, we see even in the worst of circumstances, we can be blessed. And Joseph is being blessed even in the prison. He ends up kind of running the prison, essentially. Everything that he put his hand to, the prison guard didn't even look his way because he knew that he was a good man. And so we see Joseph in the prison. We know that he comes into contact with two other prisoners, the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh, and he ends up giving interpretations of their dreams. We know that these interpretations come true. The cupbearer goes back into Pharaoh's house, and the baker was killed as Joseph interpreted. We end up seeing that the cupbearer forgets Joseph, and uh, he's still imprisoned. Yeah, and that's actually really significant because it says for two years, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. And you think about it, Joseph said to the cupbearer, like, remember me and tell Pharaoh about mm-hmm. me. And imagine had he gone, gotten out of prison and immediately went to Pharaoh or a month later or maybe six months later, Pharaoh would probably be like, who is that guy? Like, what, what? I don't, that doesn't matter to me. But it was so significant that it was two years later because in two years, Pharaoh had these dreams. You could just see God's timing and hand upon all this. When he went to him and told him about Joseph, it was in the perfect timing of the dreams so that Joseph could be the answer to that. And you know what's amazing also about this is that all this story about Joseph, every one of it, it never says that Joseph earned any of this. It's just like God had favor upon him. And yes, Joseph was a, a good man, and he was a faithful man. And, and that is evident. I mean, clearly evident. This was a faithful man to God. But that all throughout this, we really see is that Joseph has had supernatural help continuously to be where he's at time and time again. God has brought him to this place. God has given him favor there. God has done this and that. And God is the one who's working behind the scenes. And it should bring comfort to us to know that God is working behind the scenes in our lives to give us supernatural help because he's got plans and he's desiring to do things for our own lives. So after Joseph interpreted these dreams, like Felix said, two whole years and Pharaoh has these two dreams and he's very disturbed by them. He calls upon the magicians that he uses. Unfortunately, none of them can interpret the dream. And we know that is because God is the only one that can truly bring the interpretation. And so The cupbearer finally remembers him. And just like Felix said, it was perfect timing. And so Joseph is called upon and he interprets these dreams. And we know that these dreams ultimately went together and that they meant that there was going to be seven years of wonderful harvest and then seven years of famine. Pharaoh asked him what they needed to do and he told them. And so it was amazing how Joseph had the wisdom from God. And It's so cool to see because Pharaoh says, you know, thank, essentially says like, thank you for interpreting my dreams. He says, these weren't my interpretations. This, your interpretation is from God. And so he gives all glory to the Lord because he knows God has kept him and brought him where he is at this point. And it's so significant too, because it's where Joseph, who was 
the favorite son of Jacob, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, thrown mm-hmm. into prison, and then has an opportunity to interpret for Pharaoh at the time the greatest kingdom in the world or strongest empire in the world. And then Pharaoh exalts him up and raises him up and puts him in second in charge and says, you take care of the country, essentially, because of this famine coming, because no one has the wisdom to be able to do this but you. And Mm -hmm. that is because God was with Joseph. And you think about this, and even Joseph's own life is in chapter 41, Joseph actually he's been blessed and he's been he has a wife now at this point and he has two children and one's manasseh and the name manasseh means god has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house and then he has second child his name is ephraim and the name means for god has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction and i think about that that all through this joseph never became bitter towards god but he recognized God's favor and love over his life. And he recognized God's goodness and he enjoyed what God had always done to him. Even in a place of affliction, he did not become bitter, but he grew in acknowledging God's goodness in his life. And we can too. We can grow in acknowledging God's goodness even while we're being afflicted. And we have to remember that as we go through tough trials. And so in chapters 42 through 43, we see Joseph's brothers where the encounter has come. And this is great because this is the, it's been, I think, 17 years, I think it is, or 20 years since he's been sold into slavery. And his brothers now come back onto the scene. And Becca's going to tell us a little bit about that also. So Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt after the famine. So these seven years of famine have come. The famine is very severe and they were in need of food. So Jacob sent all of his sons, but Benjamin, his youngest, Joseph encounters his brothers who find themselves bowing down to him. And that honestly is just the fulfillment of the dream that he had as a 17-year-old boy. So he's all of his brothers come. And to test his brother's honest word, Joseph requires that they go and get Benjamin and return with him. So upon their return, Joseph throws him this big feast. But then honestly, he kind of tests him a little bit. So honestly, he sets Benjamin up. And remember... Benjamin is the second son of the beloved Rachel, so it's his full brother. And so we see that Benjamin comes back and Joseph puts a cup in Benjamin's sack. And so he sets up his brothers and says, hey, one of you has stolen my cup. Whoever sack I find the cup in, I'm going to kill him. And so they go through all the sacks and we see this in Benjamin's sack. And so all the other brothers are thinking, wait, whoa, 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 no, our father's going to kill us if Benjamin ends up dying. We have to take his place. And so here we see Joseph is honestly testing them to see, are these the same men that once sold me into slavery? Or are these men that are going to stand up for Benjamin in this case? And so we see this awesome character pop up into this story once again. Who is the brother that wants to take his place? Judah. And what's so significant about this, like Becca's telling us, is that they were tested. And Judah's not the same man he was. When we look back at Judah's life and we read about him from 37 and 38, we don't think of a great guy. But at this point, Judah makes a statement where he goes before Joseph and he, and he asks to speak with him. And he pleads on his brother's behalf because he does not want to see his father die. And this is what it says. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. And this is such a powerful verse here, y'all, because what we see is in the beginning in, in chapter 37, it was Judah who said, Joseph, I want it, we're going to sell you as a slave, essentially. And now here's Judah saying, I'm going to give myself up to be a slave for Benjamin 
so that my father would not die. And where Judah, who was such a scoundrel, now desires and he pleads to take the place of his brother Benjamin. And we witness just Judah's transformation from being a self-seeking person to one who is willing to sacrifice himself for the good of his family and for his father. One of the awesome things we see about Judah here also is that he is the first person in Scripture who willingly offers his own life for another. And this is such a picture and a type of Christ for us. As one commentator put it, Judah offers himself as a prisoner. Jesus offers his very life. Judah's offer is ultimately not accepted by Joseph, while Jesus did die on the cross. Judah offers himself in place of Benjamin, a family member. Jesus offered his life on behalf of those who were his enemies. So we kind of see this parallel between Judah and Jesus, but ultimately Jesus being the perfect atonement. And then we move on to Genesis 45, where Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. And so in Genesis 45, verse 4, it says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And so we see here that Joseph explains that even though all of these things have happened and they've been laid out, he says, don't be upset with yourselves mm-hmm. because God was the one who sent me here because it was for a plan. It wasn't just some small little story that we would read about one day, but it was the ultimate plan. Think back to Genesis 3 where there would be a promise one. Amen. Think back to Genesis mm-hmm. 12 where Abraham is promised this blessing upon blessing the earth and everything that would happen would go through his line. This is like a f- another fulfillment of that promise mm-hmm. that This isn't just some little thing, but it is a huge picture that God is weaving and Joseph is used in this story to save this people, to have a remnant, and ultimately to let Christ come through this line. Amen. You know, I think Joseph's life when he entered to be with God after his death, I think sometimes we think Joseph, we we look at the life of Joseph and we learn stories that can impact us about well, how should we act in a trial? And it's good, and we do. We learn those things. The t- scripture teaches us that we learn how to live from the stories that we read about. But I think when he got, you know, when he got before God, I think probably he he realized that the greatest thing he ever accomplished was that God used him to keep his family so that the Messiah could come. And that was Joseph's ultimate purpose in all this, was that Joseph became exalted and risen up so that his brother Judah could stay alive. Because this is how the story should have gone. In the olden days, this is what would have happened. Joseph would have been sold into slavery. He would have been thrown into prison. Or he would have been killed. Or if he would have went to prison, he would have died there. No one was getting out of a prison like that. And then, if that were the case, he would have never been exalted. And then his brothers would have died in a famine with his father. And the story would have ended there. And the serpent would have won. Mm -hmm. But that's not the story. Because God was faithful. And God used Joseph to deliver Jesus. Essentially, that's what we really understand. To save Judah so that Jesus could come through Judah. And it's a powerful story. So when we see Mm -hmm. the story of Joseph, not just in terms of, of the individual things, but the big picture, it was that so Jesus could come. And I think that's probably was his greatest reward when he entered into heaven to see that. 
and realize you used me like that, God. And he probably had no idea. But even then, he realized that God did use him to preserve his family. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing story. And so what we see is then he, you know, as he exposes himself to his brothers and tells them who he is, they reconcile with one another and they weep with one another. And we see this moment of reconciliation that reveals the heart of God for all of mankind, that God has desires for mankind to be reconciled to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, that the character of God revealed in chapter 45 is that, yes, he's in control and yes, he's working a plan, but it is also that he is a God who desires the people in this earth and to reconcile all men to himself. And it's just a beautiful picture how God had worked reconciliation even then and as he still does now through mm -hmm. his son, Jesus. So the rest of the story, what we see is that Joseph sends his brothers back to retrieve his father. And the last thing we see is that the family of Jacob is now living in Egypt with Joseph. So next week, we'll finish off Genesis where Jacob blesses his sons. And then we'll go right into Exodus where we see the captivity of Israel in the nation of Egypt. So if you guys have any questions about your readings in January, we would love to hear them. Please email felix.birch at fntchurch.org, and we will be doing a special Q&A podcast regarding those questions. We love you guys, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.